Friday, a Halloween special starring Paul Lynn. I'm turning myself on. And his special guests, Tim Conway, Florence Henderson, Donnie Marie Osmond, Pinky Tuscadero, and the incredible Kiss. Then, Rosemary's baby has come of age. For a birthday boy. Satan has come to reclaim his son. No! Due to mature subject matter, parental discretion is advised. Look what's happened to Rosemary's baby right after Paul Lynn. Friday, starting at 8, 7 Central and Mountain on ABC. Next. Michael Audrey Myers shall be tried as an adult for the murder of his sister, Judith Margaret Myers. You fooled them, haven't you, Mike? But not me. It's a holiday you'll remember forever. Halloween night is when people play tricks on each other. What about the boogeyman? Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Seasons don't feel high. Jamie Lee Curtis. What's the boogeyman? Donald Pleasance. As a matter of fact, it was. In a film by John Carpenter. Oh no. Halloween. Next. Hello, creeps. It's me, John Cassier, the voice of. The Crypt Keeper! <laughs> and you're listening to Blake and Dion's Halloween Horror Movie Month Scary Sleepover Extravaganza. All October. That's right, my favorite month of the year where it has my favorite horror day. All October long. Only on the Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers podcast. Many more screams come true, kiddies. I got the recorder going, so I figured we would do a bonus episode well, since we're here and we've got nothing else to do except sleep. And who sleeps these days? As an old truck driver once said to me while I was unloading N64s at Toy Works with him, you can sleep when you die. Sleep when you die, boy. You can sleep when you die, boy. Quick little 2023 um, Halloween adjunct podcast for you, right? For Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Little bonus episode. Little tight little nuzzle here. Trying to figure out stuff to do. Um, we just did Prince of Darkness and we figured we'd throw something else at you that might not be as long, but um, something fun too. This one's going to be a little more off the cuff, people. So uh, yeah, this is, this is uh, <laughs> you know, this is going to be about five minutes. <laughs> we figured, you know, since we have been MIA all s- summer and uh, now beginning of autumn um it is the halloween season and uh we had a few minutes before the sun rose and uh yeah my mom's supposed to pick me up and um she just left so we have about maybe (laughs) well since she's driving from connecticut we have about four hours until she gets up to albany (laughs) to come get me i feel bad every time she's got to come drop me off at your house and bring all my stuff clean pure drawers and everything all right, see you later. And by the time she gets home, she has to get up and come back. <laughs> um, uh, as always, I'm Dion Baya. And I'm Jay Blake. And you're listening to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Yes, and this kind of dovetails off of an episode we did a number of centuries ago. We covered, we did a whole Halloween when we were going full steam. We would do two episodes a month. Uh, our regular output and then for halloween we would go balls out and we would do an episode a week yeah <laughs> and boy were we ambitious yeah and the one halloween season we did we did four episodes and we did anthologies we themed it we themed, themed that the hell out of that baby <laughs> that bitch <laughs> and this halloween we did the this we're talking about we did anthologies and and uh we did what uh creep show we did uh i don't even remember what we did tales but, from the dark side well, this is yeah, Tales from the Dark Side, uh, which opens in the town I live in, Bronxville, which trick is really or, weird Trick or Treat? Did we do that one? Trick or, I know yeah, we've we done it. I don't remember treat. if we did it during the anthology. Because it was an anthology. That's two. <laughs> and Creepshow might have been three. 
So, yeah, so then the fourth was we did a double feature for, we just, hey, you know what, let's make it even harder yeah, for us. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got a little too big for our bridges on that one. Yeah, <laughs> and we covered the original Tales from the Crypt movie and then The Vault of Horror, which was the sequel, and I read both novelizations for that, which are excellent reads if you want to go down the alley and find their novelizations because they're slightly different from the original. And that was something prior to when I was first uh, discovered Tales from the Crypt, the HBO show in the early 90s through my friend Marvin, who I brought up once in a while on this podcast. He had HBO at the time, so he was taping them by night and then day on the weekend, we'd come over and draw and eat in his room and he would put on the Tales from the Crypt episodes and they scared the fucking bejesus out of me. And that's how I was introduced to the Tales from the Crypt show because they were on HBO at like, you know, I don't know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. They were half hour episodes. And he's the one who introduced me to, hey, you know, there is original Tales from the Crypt movie. So we went back and we watched the Tales from the Crypt movie. And I hadn't seen the Vault of Horror until years later when I was revisiting that movie. And I said, oh, there's a sequel. And those were the homage to the EC comics of the day, Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror and, you know, the what is it? The Haunt of Fear or, or whatever the other EC comic runs were at the time. So we did a podcast on those two movies, and we fully uh, endorse and, and support you guys going back and listening to those because those were in-depth. We had a lot of facts at the time, which I don't recall now, yeah. uh, but we stuck to that. We talked about the history of the EC Comics, which begot those two movies. It was a deep dive, at my recollection. Yeah. And it was also like, if we do it in this episode, when we do Creep Show, we don't need to talk about all the EC Comics stuff because we will have already talked about all the EC Comics stuff in the Tales from the Crypt episode. So, I mean, really, like, we kind of, we knew that during that anthology Halloween season, we weren't just giving background to the Tales from the Crypt movie, Vault of Horror movie, but we were also giving some background to Creepshow, which was an homage by Stephen King and George Romero to all that stuff. So my recollection is we dove pretty deep into the history of EC Comics and the Comics Code and all that crap. <laughs> yeah, Frederick Wortham and all that, those guys and, and how the era and so that it would then give us the, it would dovetail again to use the word to um, help us be a little more succinct with the Creepshow movie and we can talk about more of the specifics there and then not have to regurgitate everything that we covered for the Tales from the Crypt. And those are movies I feel like are still kind of lesser known. I don't think it, they're Hammer movies. I think they may be Asylum. I forget who put those well, out. Well, there's also, there's in there a movie like Asylum. There was another one that isn't technically a, a third, but it's made by the same people, has Peter Cushing in it. Yeah, and it's the and he's in an asylum. It's an asylum movie. The name escapes me because I have that great asylum box set of those movies and might be called Asylum or something, but it's like, yeah, it's an anthology movie where he goes in as the doctor and he's going into the hospital and he's meeting the patients and then that begots the and then you have the different various stories. And then there's a big anyway. yeah, twist at the end. Hey, go so check. go back and check those out. Check out the Creep Show episode and good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but go, I mean, so our point yeah. is we're not going to dive into that stuff now because we're just doing a little. Yeah, a little sneak bit. Taste. So as we alluded to when you had just listened to the Prince of Darkness episode, we were trying to figure out what the heck to do in a quick period of time that would not involve us segregating ourselves from our family for a long period of time in the room to do deep dives into stuff. And we were throwing things out at each other. And Blake had suggested, hey, you want to do the episode of Tales from the Crypt, the 90s TV show, you know, your favorite episode, which Blake knows that I love very well, um, entitled Terror Television. Or Television Terror? Oh, there's my dyslexia going in there. <laughs> yes, Television Terror. I think. And uh, that's one that I showed Blake when we were freshmen in, in college. I taped that bad boy off the TV. And, oh, well, you can't tape everything else except off the TV. Um, I taped it, and I remember showing that to you because that was like, for me, you know, there are a lot of great episodes. If I think back to that 90s show, which I think is a fantastic show, and it's a real um, footprint of its time that everybody was involved in, you know, Zemeckis, Donner, all those people who got that going. And there's a good four or five seasons of that show. And it's amazing, much like you have of the Twilight Zones of the yesteryear and those anthology shows where you'd have a famous person, Suspense, the radio show, where you'd have a famous person every episode. Tales from the Crypt, the show, did that too, where you'd have everybody, it was almost the in thing to do was have a new famous person who is either up and coming or a mainstay or legendary, either direct, 
you know, star, co-star, whatever. So you have a great many episodes, which I think, forgive me if I'm saying this wrong, I think 99 or 100% of them are based off of original comics that were EC runs, you know, short stories that appeared in EC. They were mining them. And, you know, you, of course, would have the Crypt Keeper come out. He would give us a little intro, and then he would open his book up, and you'd see a modern rendition of the cover with the whoever is going to be in it, uh, you know, this episode doing it. So they kind of revision the episode. And then they would always show in the credits, this is based off of Volta Horror or Tales of the Crypt episode or, you know. So I fully was... endorse. Yeah. Go ahead. Fully endorse. I just say fully endorse going back to, to checking all that out. Yeah. I mean, it just it ran from June 89 to July 96. So it was seven seasons, 93 episodes. It was produced and kind of created by Richard Donner, David Geiler, Giller, Walter Hill, who we love, Joel yeah. Silver, who we love, and Robert Zemeckis, who we love. So these guys, it was another instance, I'm sure, nostalgia. Let's do something. You know, obviously the anthology horror science fiction fantasy show was a, was an old format going back to Outer Limits and Twilight Zone and, and countless others that aren't as popular or haven't stood the test of time in terms of popularity anyway, not necessarily of quality. But my recollection is 90s had kind of a resurgence of this, the 80s into the 90s. We had Tales from the Dark Side, yeah, which we then covered the movie on um, the previous uh, Halloween specials. But we had reboots of Twilight Zone, Outer Limits in the 90s. Amazing Stories was almost something akin yeah, to this, but it was, it was not as horror-based. It was more of but there was also an anthology s- show. Something always kind of disturbed me about <laughs> Amazing <laughs> Stories. Yeah, uh, certain, certain episodes were frightening. But I didn't have cable or HBO when the these shows aired. So I ended up watching it later with my parents on Fox. Oh, when they re-aired them like in syndication. Yeah. They later went into, in the, in the late nineties after it had been running for a while, mid to late nineties, they started, it went into syndication and they had been edited obviously because there's nudity and, and stuff that can't air on regular television. Uh, but we would watch it, I think at midnight. Yeah. It was on late. 12 and 1230. So midnight to one, we would watch my parents and I would watch Tales from the Crypt. And I think at like 1130 on a different channel on like CBS was the remake of Outer Limits. So like after the local news, and I want to say that it was on Saturday nights, but that means yeah, we wouldn't I, f- have, I feel like. That means it wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have been watching Saturday Night Live, which I know we did watch sometimes. So it might Maybe if been, it was a rerun, you switched over, you know? So in my uh, neck of the woods in the Albany area, it might have been Friday nights, but my recollection is it was Saturday nights. But anyway, this kind of stuff is one of the main things of why I think I ended up falling in love with horror in general. Like I have very fond memories of sitting with my mom and my stepdad and watching things like Tales from the Crypt. We've talked about Werewolf, the TV show in the late 80s. So like horror on television. Making a comeback in a way, yeah. There's a lot of great, Freddy's Nightmares came you know, yeah. came out. Friday Fr- the 13th, the series. Which yep. wasn't an- Took the words right out of your mouth. <laughs> which wasn't an anthology show, but kind of was at the same time. It had a through story and it wasn't like hosted by anything, but there was like an item every week that led to another supernatural experience. Great show, scary. That one was very scary. So very important to my- Love to our development, and uh, yeah, yeah, to the development. Also, worth mentioning the Crypt Keeper was played by the uh voice, great voice artist John Cassier, yeah. And uh, like Deanne said, every episode either start a familiar face or a big star or is directed by somebody. Or you should see the list of people I'm looking at who scored episodes of this show, which, which you know goes from like Bruce Broughton, who uh did Young Sherlock Holmes, and many episodes of Quincy to Bill Conti, who did Rocky, Jan Hammer, James Horner, Michael Kamen, Nicholas Pike, Alan Silvestri. So like they was bringing in big talent and because it was on HBO, I think was one of the, you know, one of the reasons because you could get away with more and it was home box office. So there was more of a cinematic flair to it. Now, coincidentally, before we even started talking about this, for the Halloween season, I started rewatching the show. Oh, wow. 
Is that what gave you the idea? Like, hey, you, when you were throwing it out yeah, there Yeah, well, me? we were trying to think of something to do and something that wouldn't take a ton of research. And I was just like spitballing. And I was like, well, what about, you know, this episode of Tales from the Crypt? Because I know you love it and I like it and I'm watching the show right now. I hadn't just watched it when I mentioned it, but I, I know that it's a, it's something that we share. And like I said, like you said, you introduced that episode to me. And I think there was some fear that maybe we couldn't get like two hours out of a half hour long episode, but, uh, I, I stood by the opinion that we could easily get to it. <laughs> 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 yeah, very correct. We can, we can, uh, lay anything out, you know, I will say watching the show again now, many years later, many years older, slightly wiser. I don't think it's for everybody. I think it's, it's a slightly dated. It's very much a time capsule. Yeah. And, it very much intentionally because of its comic book origins and its moral lesson aspect of the EC comics, it leans into the camp feel. Yeah. Um, decidedly so though. Yeah. Think, but, yeah. you know, like, consciously, it, yeah. it intentionally does. And yeah. which may, I guess, off skew or alienate people who aren't familiar with that. And I'm not sure that that, the that that taste would I don't think that would I don't know if that would leave a good taste in everybody's mouth, but I think for us you know there's obviously a nostalgic factor to it not just for the show itself but for the comic books and for anthology television of that era and before so I think it it works for people like us in a way that it may not work so that's just like a warning but I think it's definitely worth giving a try and seeing if if it's something that you can uh, get into. And I would say that uh, this particular episode, I think doesn't lean as far into the, the kitsch camp factors as some of the ep other episodes do. No, I agree. And I think that's one of the reasons why to me, this is like a mainstay episode. And, um, you know, looking back at ones that stayed with me, scared the crap out of me. There's the episode with the boy who goes to his uncle, who's the, uh, Undertaker, you know, and the Undertaker's ruthless, and then there's a big comeuppance at the end of that. It's very scary. Um, there's certain episodes that stuck with me, and this was one that I caught it at the right time. I watched it the night it aired, and it just scared the bejesus out of me because once my friend Marvin had turned me on to this show, I had realized, I hope the statute of limitations is, is run out on this, that my dad had what we used to proverbially call back in the day a scrambler, a black box. And he had that sucker hooked up to the, in his room, you know, at night. So I'd have to go to, 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 to watch all the illicit shit I have to go watching in his room. And, you know, people used to, we used to laugh because, you know, my dad would call me up and be like, you know, they're sending a bullet. You got to unplug the scrambler because tonight they're sending a bullet through to fry all the scramblers, which I don't know if that's a, yeah, I, I wonder what, tale. what information, like where he, where he would acquire yeah. that information. You know, somebody, somebody from the cable company called, <laughs> hey, uh, hey, I got to let you know tonight, Pat, they're going to send a, uh, two, two, you know, because in what they would do is they, I guess, I, I, I don't know if this is researched or something, but, you know, big nights when they were having big pay-per-view events like Tyson fights or david hasselhoff concerts or whatever would go through on pay-per-view for live shows or the early renditions of what people know now as the um the cage match what do you call that stuff the ufc uh, ufc fighting which was much more brutal and kind of came out of those days uh you know they they might they didn't want people um bootlegging any stuff so point is when i found out the show was on i knew we had hbo because of this so this was a night where my mom, my dad worked second shift, like three to 11. My mom would work 11 to seven. So my dad would get off a little early, get home by about 1030. And my mom would leave at like 1040 to get to work at 11. So there was a flip. My mom would go to bed around say seven o'clock, sleep till 10, get up. And then she'd be getting ready for work as my dad was getting home. And I would be there. Hey, what's going on? My sister was already in bed. So this was one of the nights where, you know, she got up, and I feel like they, the show ran at 11, 11.30 on HBO, the original run. So I had the idea I wanted to watch an episode. And uh, I forget why, but I watched it alone, this episode. And I watched it in my parents' room, and I turned it on. It was this episode. And for me growing up, uh, I had known who Morton Downey Jr. was, the star of this episode, because I had stayed up late at night, and I would watch the Morton Downey show, which was on in the late 80s, which was a mainstay, and he was a very controversial figure and there's a great 
documentary on him called, I think, uh, uh, Evocateur, maybe, that was done on him, which I suggest everyone to watch. And not only that, a couple sidelines, I thought he was a fantastic actor, which was seen in Predator 2, which we've already covered here, and gives an example of this as well. In this episode, I think he does a fantastic job almost lampooning himself. And um, it's funny now, this premise being uh, a live show that goes in almost like a Geraldo Rivera's Al Capone vault, uh, which I had known at the time because I had watched that live when that came out. That was my introduction to Geraldo Rivera. I had gotten the references of what, you know, the, who the guy was, Morton Downey Jr., what they were doing. Oh, it's homaging this. And then it being the TV environment. Now, for the past 21 years, I've worked in television live, uh, news television, cable news, understanding the nuts and bolts of the aspect of it. I've also met people who... Uh, or older, you know, my parents at my father's age, who've now since retired, but people who actually worked on the Morton Downey show back in the day, because they shot that in Secaucus, which is right across in New Jersey, the Hudson River. So I've met people and I've gotten a lot of anecdotes of Morton and, and you know, on him being a nice guy, you know, uh, humble and all this stuff and all the crazy annex that used to go on with that show with Al Sharpton and all these people used to go on. So it's weird coming back and then having all this third world, you know, wraparounds of stuff. And then through my job, you know, getting to know Geraldo Rivera and stuff like that. So it's just, it's very weird, all this stuff culminating to like something that you like in your childhood. So this episode I watched when it aired and it scared the fucking shit out of me. And I think for everything you said before, Blake, of the show being slightly dated or all the other things we said, you, you're right where this is an episode that doesn't lean too much into that. And I think it holds itself on its own of being a, and it's shorter than, the other episodes, the other episodes, I think, run maybe a half hour or 28 minutes, where this is only like 22 minutes or 20 minutes this episode. But it's a great, great uh, economy of story, gets it going, everything's going, There's, it doesn't slow down, it's not too fast-paced, you get sucked right in, and it's scary as a motherfucker, and it still, yeah. to this day, scares the crap out of me. You know, it's a lot tamer, it's one of those things where, like, when I wa- when I re- when we re-watched it tonight, it's a lot tamer than I remember it being yeah you know maybe like, because we're we're so desensitized yeah, at this point that it's just like i think i don't know i feel like when you're younger like even though you know when i watched it with you you know i was in my late teens it was uh you know i feel like you, things can capture your imagination in a way that maybe doesn't happen as often these days so i mean it, it was short i mean one of the reasons why i started re-watching it recently is because I wanted to watch something that was horror-ish for Halloween season, and I love me an anthology show, but a lot of them are hour longs. Oh, yeah, okay. And I I was like, I, you know, like I want a short, like a half hour long is great, because then you can just like kind of fit it in, <laughs> like in between things, or what, I'm going to go to, before I go to bed, I'll watch uh, something short. So that's one of the reasons why I started watching it this time around, was almost specifically because of its length. So, you know, the fact that you talk about like the economy and the storytelling, I mean, some of the episodes as I'm rewatching them are half hour, but feel longer. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this show is, uh, this episode is maybe coming in shy of a half hour, but moves quickly. I mean, it's, it moves at a clip. And if you look at the original EC comic, which, uh, I don't remember, it wasn't in tales from the crypt or vaulted horrors from one of the other ones. Haunt of fear. Haunt of fear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really only like a total of like 10 or 12 panels or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's very short. It's like five or six pages. Yeah, like it's a it's a short, it's a really short story. But yeah, every, I'll echo everything you said about Morton Downey. I remember watching Morton Downey in my mom's bedroom in Philadelphia before he moved to Albany. Nice. Uh, we would put it on and watch it like before I went to bed. So I always had like a weird fond spot for Morton Downey. And watching it this time as the female lead, as we were watching it, I'm thinking to myself, this, this woman looks so familiar to me. I mean, she's beautiful, but yeah. I was like, what like, what else have I seen her in? And before we started rolling, before Dion woke me up <laughs> to, film, to record this episode, uh, right before I was ready to fall asleep, I looked it up and she played a somewhat significant recurring role on a couple of seasons of... 21 Jump Street. 
No. As we, as our contract is no longer in, <laughs> in, in effect with the Stephen J. Canal uh, company to, to, to mention the show in every episode. But she played Johnny Depp's girlfriend for a few episodes. And uh, spoiler alert, she dies. Oh. In an episode, she gets shot during a convenience store robbery. Oh. And the name of the episode is like a number, like 3.2 or something like that. And it's a, it's one of my favorite episodes of the show, even though she's not in a lot of it, but <laughs> it's about how Johnny Depp becomes obsessed with the fact that he didn't save her. And he takes, and he gets a copy as a police officer, he gets a copy of the store security the camera CCTV. footage yeah. and he's watching and he has the videotape and whatever the number is is like the amount of seconds he had between like when she screams or something and then the guy sees her and turns around and shoots her. He's like, it's three, whatever it is, 3.2 seconds. So he's obsessed with that. And Holly comes over, Holly uh, Robinson, who plays Judy, she comes over and she's like, what's going on? And his place is disheveled. And and uh, she's like, what's going on? And you're, you're not supposed to have that footage. And He's like, you know how many things you can do in 3.2 seconds? Uh, he's like, you can take you can take your shoes off and put them back the, on like three times. You can take off your pants and put them back on. You can eat this much. Like he's, he's obsessing on that time. And he's saying like, oh, I can do all this stuff in that amount of time. But I couldn't save her. And it's such a good episode. And uh, she's, her death is like the impetus of that episode. But she's in several episodes leading up to that. So- it was uh, it was nice to see that this ha- also has a connection to one of my favorite shows of all time. So Dorothy Park, God bless you, love you. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, this was something that I ended up using in my freshman film. The music, the score of this, uh, my freshman film was about a serial killer who's killing uh, hookers and stuff. And in the as, flashback as, sequence, as they do. As they do uh, in the flashback sequence of trying to give you a little backstory of why he's doing what he does, a little a little molestation going on and uh, played by my mom and my next door neighbor, the child. (laughs) And uh, this was the music I had in the background, the off key piano uh, I put in. And do you have any recollection of us watching this? I mean, do you remember when you watched it? Did you like it when we watched it and stuff and you thought it was scary or freaky and stuff like that when we watched this original episode back in the dorms? Yeah, I do. I do remember watching it. I mean, I remember liking it. I I can't. I mean, I'm going to take your word for it that it was the first time I had seen it because that I don't remember. But I do. I do recall that you've always liked this episode and that I've also always liked it. And that we did watch it at some point, which is one of the reasons why I, you know, probably the only reason why I suggested it is something that we could maybe kind of do in a, in a economical amount of time and something that we share. And, and, uh, yeah, I do. I remember watching it. I remember, you know, the way our dorm room was set up with the beds on the side and the TV, <laughs> that the little middle, dresser yeah. between us, uh, we would lay in bed, uh, each in our respective beds and, <laughs> Uh, lay in bed together <laughs> watch the spoon and watch tv together uh, in a, pl- <laughs> a t- completely heterosexual platonic way and uh and watch it yeah i mean it's a it's a good episode like i said it's a lot it's faster and a lot more tame than i remember it being um yeah but that's not necessarily a bad thing i mean it's just it's just the way you recall things you're right he's great in it the concept is great Yes, there are references to like Haraldo Rivera and Capone's vault that, you know, some people are not going to get uh, yeah. today. Even his name, Horton Rivers, is kind of a play on Geraldo Rivera, I felt back in the day. And his show is Horton Rivers Live. And the basic premise is that he's going to, and this is something, I don't know, I, you know, this is before the advent of reality TV. So this was something new at yeah. the time. Where, well, I was going to say, it's, it's, I mean, it's prophetic in a lot of ways in yeah, terms of what it, TV becomes and things like Ghost Hunters and... Uh, ghost, yeah. you know, uh, those that girls. ghost watch that, that British show that we talked about, we mentioned in the last episode yeah. where he's going to go live into a haunted house to see what happens. And I had carbon dated this story back to a suspense episode called ghost hunt by HR Wakefield, which I paid a lot of money to find a collection of his short stories to get the story in. And that's only about four pages. 
And then you doing research found an author, Robert, on that H.R. Wakefield publishes that story in 47. No, it's written in 47, it's published in 48. And then uh, you had carbon dated some stuff researching this before you fell asleep to an author named Robert Arthur. Robert Arthur. 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 Robert Arthur. Ar- why can't I say Arthur? Arthur. Because he, he's an author. Uh, <laughs> he's an author. The author named by Robert Arthur. Arthur. And he had done a short story called The Believers which was then he published in 41. And when you get down to the captioning and stuff of this going back to the EC Comics Haunt of Fear issue, people will reference the Believers, which I never found. But then listening to the Believers dramatization and then knowing Ghost Hunt, the suspense episode, which I wholeheartedly recommend everyone going because I find that being one of the best episodes, great example of how great suspense was at the time. Which was a Um, radio show for anyone. Which was a radio show from the 40s into the 50s, uh, which we've talked about a lot on the show if you've listened to past episodes. I feel like this is an amalgam of kind of both stories where the the Robert Arthur... Uh, short stories about a guy on radio who's more like the Morton Downey Jr. character in this, who goes in live to a house that isn't really haunted, but they're trying to just, you know, drum up something for not rate ratings in the sense of listening to radio. And then he goes through the process of making something up live on the radio. And then once they're off air, he ends up seeing, because it's implied that everyone who's listening across the country hears and believes what he's saying, this becomes an, like an like an H.P. Lovecraft kind of character that it then manifests itself yeah. and then comes The collective audience has willed this thing to exist. Yeah, so when he gets off the air, this thing really comes and gets him and takes him. The Ghost Hunt episode, which then uh, has elements here, is more kind of in line of this where it's a guy who has an outlandish show played um the name escapes me and that pisses me off of the guy who stood in the start in the suspense episode because at the time since they would use famous people he was a famous game show radio host so it's almost like having a dick clark or a uh alex trebek who people knew at the time doing this and he's very, very good in the episode. So if this wasn't his cup of tea, you, you know, it's like having suspense would kind of flip the script a lot, where they take a comedian like Jack Benny and put him in a serious episode, or Bob Hope, and you'd have different, you know, and then you'd see how versatile these people are. And this guy whose name escapes me, he did this, and he's so good in the episode of uh, Ghost Hunt. But it's about a guy who has a radio show who goes into a haunted house that people say is haunted. All these bad things have happened in it. And he goes in with a psychic, and then the psychic, he doesn't believe it, of course, and then things start happening, and by the end of it, the whole thing goes ass over tits, as they say, and he ends up killing himself. And it's very freaky. And I feel like almost both elements are kind of combined here for this uh, television terror, terror television episode for the comic that then... Tales from the Crypt then adapted into the TV episode here for 90, whatever year this came out. This is season two of Tales from the Crypt. And uh, uh, Pasquale Buba, is that his name, the editor? He he edited this episode as well. And um, who is, I'm sure we talked about in Romero episodes, he was part of the Romero troupe. He had a business with John Harrison, who is featured in my book, but... uh, they kind of had a business where they were trying to do vi- a filmmaking stuff. And then they met with Romero and uh, that's when they started producing when, when Romero was doing those sports shows where you could sometimes see footage of this OJ episode and doing a documentary sports show for television. But Pasquale Buba ended up being uh Romero's editor for, for uh, things later. And, and Martin is shot in Pasquale Buba's mom's house. Oh, wow. So, uh, like that house that Martin lives in in the movie Martin is the Bubba household. So, yeah. And and uh, I'm sure he had a ton to do with um, Tales from the Dark Side, just like John Harrison did as well. So That series, yeah. Yeah, so it's basically live. Morton, who's this real sleazebag, um, Morton Rivers live kind of guy who's looking for the most controversial, outlandish stuff to sell to the audience. Clearly, his producers and crew don't like him. 
which is not uncommon in the world of television shows, cable news like this. Uh, they're very more vocal than you'll hear sometimes, but that does sometimes happen in a control room, which is kind of funny. So uh, that's why being in the industry, you know, you kind of get some of the inside scoop. It's kind of funny. And he goes in live, and I and he's wearing this trademark. Morton always wore the red socks, you know, and he's wearing his trademark red socks. And they go in. He goes in with a single cameraman, a guy named Trip, who I find is really great because he reminds me of every freelance cameraman I've ever met, you know, who who is in the business. And they go into this house of this woman, Ada Ritter, who is this supposedly this person who had a boarding house and she would bring in older people, kill them for their pension checks and not, you know, and bury them in the basement and then collect their social security checks and stuff until she was found out about it. And then this house, which looks like a very famous house, which I didn't do any research on in LA, but I'm sure I've seen it in other movies, this, this elaborate house that was used. And, um, you know, they have a stand up, they brought, they bring the broadcast truck to the front and they go in live and then they record it all live. And it looks like of the day, it looks like, um, which is kind of ahead of its time. He's on a wireless camera, which in the back in the day, you'd still be kind of like uh, tethered. You'd have just a cord going in and, you know, have a, uh, a utility guy, as they call it, you know, coiling the cable as they walked around. But it's just Horton and the cameraman, they go in and they walk around and they're trying to figure out what to do. And then it's almost going to be a bust. And then stuff starts happening and they go up to the second floor. After they cut the commercial. <laughs> As after they cut the commercial, they start hearing really freaky stuff, which has always, you know, got me in the pit of my stomach when they start hearing stuff and they start seeing stuff. And uh, they cut back into the commercial when they're seeing like Poltergeist phenomenon. And I think the guy who plays the psychic in it uh, is great for the, the little part he has. You know, he's you know, very a lot of quotable lines in this where he's like, you know, you couldn't pay me to go into the house, you know, with you, and you know, and nobody believes until it happens. And all of which, same thing with Morton. Morton doesn't believe. And I think he does such a wonderful job in this because it's completely believable as a sleazebag, completely believable he's doing this for ratings. But then when the, when the, when the record turns over and stuff starts happening, he's completely believable, you know, freaking out and all this stuff. And you get a bit of that comeuppance that you'd see in EC Comics where there's a point in the episode where shit starts going down and there, there's a call to be made. Should we go in and get him out of there and then of course the jaded producers like no leave him in there what's her face yeah. from 21 jump street which i don't th you know if i have any criticism of the episode no matter how much of an asshole they are they're not going to let him leave him in they want to take him out because you know here's the, he's their their meal ticket in the yeah. sense of well, you he, know, was, ratings he was a particular asshole to her and yeah yeah exactly he, and that's like what gave her the spontaneous that, like, response she makes him sleep with her uh, she makes her yeah. sleep with him and just because you're sleeping not with me doesn't give you a free ride in this town, he says to her. And then, but at the end of it, when he's eventually killed and leaving hung in front of the house, I think everybody realizes that they made a wrong decision, you know, and it's like <laughs> another thing, you know, that's probably going to haunt them. And I think it's just handled very well. There's a huge reveal uh, for the 10 year old or 11 year old Dion who saw this when he first came out when Trip is killed. Which scared the shit out of me as a kid, which I guess is kind of silly when you reel the full reveal of what happens, you know, but uh, very, very scary for me as a kid, you know, and I think it's a great little uh, flip there that you don't expect and uh, very, very scary. It's really good, a great example for people who are doing short films or student films or something like that, or even like the radio shows of what you can accomplish in such a short period of time because it is quick, it is believable. You get you don't get enough backstory you get he's a dick you get everyone's motivations they go in there's tension built i love there's a pov of when they go down to the basement and he's trying to like talk about what happened down there you get a you get flashbacks through it of the woman you know brief cuts of the woman vignettes the woman killing the different transients that live there uh you see i think the one of the old guys looks like the guy from the enter sandman metallica video from back in the day so I always recognized him when I saw it, but there's a great POV because there's a hole in the wall that leads to just darkness of like, you know, the, the foundation and he puts his hand in and he's touching the earth and, you know, you can read into it what you want, but is he, that is that what is finally pissing the house off that he's being so obnoxious and he's now going into maybe the, 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 it's like, uh, what's the, the, um, Amityville horror, you're going to the heart of the house and fucking with it, you know, yeah. so, but there's a, there's a POV that's never explained that comes from inside the hole looking out, which I always thought, thought particularly terrifying because it's whatever's in the house is 
finally awakened or looking at him to start giving him the comeuppance or whatever, giving him what he wants, you know. Even to them cutting to the, when they cut to commercial, you get the the little, remember the, the little, it was a real commercial at the time, like Susie's sleeping and it was the little teddy bear doing oh, yeah. the fabric softener commercial and stuff like that. That was on air at the time when this show came Snuggles out. So, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it was very, very recognizable for, for the audience at the time to see that. So I, you know, I always thought that was great. And again, I applaud it because it's, it, for me, it, it, it does hold up still. And it is a stellar example of what this show was able to accomplish at the time with what it had. And I think it's because of everyone involved that makes it really awesome and still uh, kind of freaky to this point. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I haven't watched a ton of, revisited a ton of episodes. I kind of watched them. I haven't been watching them in order. I kind of watch them random. Yeah. I watch them on my Plex and I can just hit shuffle. <laughs> yeah. Which you could do with the TV shows, which I like to do. And it just, it just throws on an episode so you don't have to sit there and agonize like, which episode am I going to watch? I watch a lot of star, things like Star Trek and I watch a lot of shows just on shuffle because it's like, I just want to play like I flipping the channels and I discovered it and I'm going to watch it. Um, That's cool. They have that option. So I haven't watched a ton of episodes, but... Um, it's definitely one of the better ones that I've revisited so far. And I think part of it is because it handles things a little more seriously. It's not trying to play too much into the, like the hokey kitschiness of the comic book. I mean, there's an episode with Harry Anderson as a comic book artist and what he draws, he draws monsters for like EC comics and they come to life and, oh, and, yeah, and yeah. do stuff. And it's a great episode, but it definitely leans really heavy yeah. into like the kitschiness of it which doesn't bother me i thought i i think it's great and i love and miss harry anderson but uh yeah uh this one certainly plays it a little more straight and i think it's one of the reasons why it kind of stands out yeah and there's certain episodes that have like been grained in me the one i already talked about about the basketball player going to his dad's funeral parlor that episode there's the meatloaf episode which is utterly terrifying and uh, I got the chance to meet Meatloaf on a show and I brought that episode up and he was saying he couldn't watch it because he doesn't like horror. And at the end of it, it's it's frightening what ends up happening in that episode. I don't want to give it away for anybody who wants to go and watch it. But that episode, um, the Egg Bagley Jr. episode, which I think has Tim Roth in it. I'm sorry, Tim Curry, who's playing three roles. I think he plays the hillbilly father, mother, and daughter in the episode. So Tim Curry is yeah. playing triple roles there, like in a Peter Sellers esque kind of way. The Schwarzenegger episode that I think he directed. Yeah. That old guy. Yeah, who's who's kind of changing out body parts he's paying to become young again. Who is in um, uh who's in Tales from the Dark Side the movie. In the in the Black Cat episode. And people I think mainstream audiences will know him as he's the grandfather or the uncle in the Christmas vacation movie. Oh, yeah. When he comes over, he's the one whose toupee gets on fire and stuff, you know, with the cigar kind of looks like, what's his face? George Burns kind of-esque. But there are certain episodes that have stuck with me because of maybe my young age and how good they were executed. And this was one of them. And I think it was probably because it, it was, it lent more into the horror and terrifying. And then it being kind of a harbinger for what you see now with these shows that do this. Uh, with the advent of the Blair Witch Project or the reality shows, and certainly like you brought up Ghost Hunters and all those shows that do this. These are what these shows are kind of looking for. And um, although those shows are edited, you don't really, I don't know to my recollection or my knowledge that they've done a live episode like in that format of this, but that would be particularly terrifying. I think Ghost Hunters did do at least one. There was a period of time where I watched it pretty regularly, the, the original yeah. Ghost Hunters. Uh, I never got too much into the that other one where the guy's a little more bros. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The one that I forget what Taps that, or that one, the one? I forget what that one's called. But the yeah. ones where it's like plumbers. <laughs> yeah, I think that's Taps, whatever no, that, they're called. No, that, yeah, and they do. Yeah, that, well, that's Ghost Hunters with the Taps guys. Oh, that, oh okay. Um, but there's another one where they're kind of like more, the guy's got like a, you know, full hawk and these little more they're a little more like come on come out here oh ghost uh, ghost adventures <laughs> ghost that's adventures. the one i watched it was like come on i'm right here hit me you know he's like oh, don't you hate don't you want to tear me apart or you know but that, yeah, i think yeah, ghost hunters good. did at least one maybe in that boat the queen uh oh the queen mary that's queen mary, maybe LA. they might have done a live episode in there or something and then the pilot to tales in the crypt is a story i've told before where i had the chance of meeting william sadler and uh, he was promoting a show that's now had a short run on Fox. I think it was called like Wonderland or Wonderfall. And he was on. And then I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm getting a picture with him. And I wanted to tell him, 
you know, that he's in the pilot episode, of, a great episode of Tales from the Crypt, where he plays a, he, it's, he talks to the camera and he's talking to you and he's a executioner who's laid off and then he continues killing people because in his mind he believes that they deserve to die and since he can't do it, he's going to take it upon himself in his free time to do it. And I always thought it was a great episode because he's doing the Richard III, kind of the Shakespearean aside where he's talking to you and explaining to you why he's doing it. And I always love that. So when I met him, I was like, I loved you in and then I blanked and he's like, um... He's like, uh, uh, Green Mile. I'm like, no. Die Hard <laughs> he's two. Like, uh, <laughs> Die Hard 2. I'm like, no. And he's like, uh, um, you know, uh, um, Deep Space Nine. I'm like, no. And he's like, Bogus Journey. I'm like, no. And I'm like, um, and then I finally say, Tales from the Crypt. And he's like, oh, oh okay. Thanks. <laughs> he's like, yeah, that's something I don't, yeah, I don't hear too often. Is it a, and then I was able a, to snap a picture what's, of what's, We've only done one Seagal movie. Is, he's, is he in that one? Isn't he in the beginning of one of the Seagal movies? No, he's, he's not in that. He's in, we did Above the Law. In, in it, we talked a lot about Marked for Death, the, the Jamaican episode. No. We did the Jamaican we did, one. We did Marked for Death. We talked a lot about... That's the third Seagal movie. We talked a lot about his first one, Above the Law, which I love. And then the second one that's in between them is Hard to Kill, and he's the bad guy yeah. in that. I'm going to take you to the bank. The blood bank. <laughs> that's that. Yeah. <laughs> and he plays like the corrupt politician in that one. Great part. You know, he's always a great He's a great, great actor. actor. Great, you know, great actor. Great. And he lives near us. He lives upstate to us. I think he lives in Poughkeepsie or somewhere because I've seen him post up there. Um, I, of course, remember, great. I, you know, I, lo- I remember the Terry Hatcher episode because Terry, I, yeah, I yeah. was in love with Terry Hatcher. Still, am. And that's a very freaky episode because that is a very freaky story. I have that original EC comic story and that's very freaky because that story is told through the first person point of view. And that might be going back to the Volta Horror episode, which is kind of done in a similar way where the guy dies and he comes back and it's all told from his point of view, the zombie. Uh, you know, so, so that, that I, remember, I don't remember who's in it, but I remember, well, I think the, like that crazy guy from Blade Runner and Time Crime Wave. There's one that's about like oh, yeah. lumberjacks. Yeah. I remember that. That's freaky. <laughs> I remember yeah, that. And they episode. put the guy in the lumber and they're cutting with a chainsaw. Yes. See, there's there's episodes that stick with you when you watch it. I had bought the box set on DVD for this that was like out of print and it's like five discs. I think it's a season of discs. Uh, five things and there's like three discs a season or something and we started watching them and then we kind of fell off we went through half a season one and not to say they're hit or miss but i'd say maybe like 60 to 70 percent are very good but we kind of fell off and it's something i'd certainly like to get back into watching this halloween season because there's so many great episodes that i've forgotten about but this one's always stuck with me because of you know the market left on me and then i found it on the box set you know uh, season two, this one dropped and, um, yeah. And then like you said, it, it syndicated on Fox and then sadly it was kind of edited for content and time, you know, so you couldn't get the full presentation of the gore or the swearing or the nudity, everything that came with yeah, it. it. So seems like um, late eighties, early nineties, it, it's HBO it seemed like we're going to crowbar a pair of boobs into every episode of the show. <laughs> yeah. Somehow, it was very, just because we can very on the cusp and it was you know all the people you mentioned that created they were all at the type of top of their game at the time top form so it's plausible that either hbo approached them or they approached hbo and were like hey you know we have this idea let's do this and they're you know whoever is like sure let's go and that this show took off because and then so many heavy hitters would come in and, and do an installment much like again the radio show suspense which i absolutely adore so love this episode worth just noting before we wrap it up that the puppet of the Crypt Keeper is still magnificent to watch. Yeah. Like the animatronics. Yeah. In his evolution the, too of how it face. how he looked. Yeah. It's still brilliant. What a wonderful underrated piece of uh, <laughs> special effects. Yeah. I mean, you believe he's a real person, you know, and that harkens back to the the Crypt Keeper character they had different people opening the comic. There was a witch, there was a guy from a cauldron and stuff and um also, Danny Elfman does a great score for the for the opening and stuff like that. He was huge at the time, so it's very much in that Dar- Danny Elfman kind of a, a vein of like Simpsons and stuff. And spawned Burton. two movies. Yeah, Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. Tales from the Crypt presents oh, yeah. Bordello of Blood. Yeah, Dennis Miller. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Those were the days. I remember yeah. really liking uh, Demon Knight when I saw it back when it came out with Billy Zane I don't, and, and Jada Pinkett. They're both one movie to me. You know, Bordello of Blood and Demon are kind of the same, so I don't really recall which is which. Although I do, I think I remember more Bordello of Blood because I think it 
takes place in a bordello. So maybe that's why. Yeah, Everhart. The Harlot's House. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Corey great, Feldman. Great stuff. I think Corey Feldman might be in that one too. I think you're right too. Yeah. Totally worth checking out. Go back and revisit. And we wanted to give you guys just a little nugget bonus thing to throw in to say hi and uh hope you're having a good halloween season you're watching all your programming as we said in our last episode go back and check out our prior catalog in general but then specifically go back and check out our halloween output because we had a lot of good episodes we, yeah. we, we especially got a significant the, chunk. the crypt episode because a lot of what we talk about is relevant to this episode and this tv show yeah. specifically this is like a micro glimpse at that that and even the creep show episode because we read that what they were kind of um connected in a way and the uh, Tales from the Crypt is a two-parter, or well, it's a double feature because we did Volta Horror, which was the sequel of that movie in the 70s. So, so that, strap that, in. Make sure you pee before you start. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a long one. Don't no, don't break the seal. You know, go for the long haul. So, But thank you very much for listening, as always, and we hope you have a great 2023 Halloween season. Um, Blake, where can they find you? Uh, scored at score to death on social media. And of course you can find my books score to death conversations with some of Horace Grace composers and score to death Two. more conversations with some of Horace Grace composers on Amazon, other book retailers or from me directly at score to death.com. And me, you can find me on social media. You can find us both on social media. You can find the show on social media. We haven't really been posting on the Saturday night movie sleepovers all that much. It's become more of an RIP page for a lot of times of people we see who've passed away, but you can certainly interact with us. We get back to you rather quickly. Um, my stuff you can find on Amazon, uh, my two books, Blood in the Streets, as well as Morris P.I., The Men from Ice House 4. A good way to support us, we always say, is buy our books and help us out. Blake's in the middle of making one of his books or making his books into a documentary with a adjunct uh, vinyl CD soundtrack, which is fr- pretty freaking awesome that he's in knee deep in right now. Yes, which and, will be available uh, at some point. And, um, and you have the Kickstarter for that, right? Well, Kickstarter is done, but, uh, you know, still you can follow me on social media and you'll stay abreast of what's of the, of what's going on with the film. Yeah. And then you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter X, whatever it's known as nowadays. And, uh, you can find the show the same place and we hope you have a great season and we've given you some inspiration to go back and watch something. So, um, We'll try to get back to you really soon. We're going to try to maybe revert ourselves and maybe do our anniversary episode in November if we can or something. We're going to figure something out. We'll try to get something out before the end of the year. We both have very busy schedules. Um, Not to say that anybody else doesn't, but it's hard to, you know, hold down a day job and then doing this stuff on the side as we get older. But we're trying to grind it out because we love, you know, giving content to our listeners. And uh, we know uh, there are a certain percentage of people who appreciate love listening to us. So we thank you very much for that and we love throwing stuff out there for you guys so as always uh happy halloween and we'll talk to you very soon later